Hello and welcome to the return of the Arsenal Beat. Just two weeks to go until Mikel Arteta's side get their 2022-23 campaign underway at Crystal Palace. So what better time for us to get the ball rolling on another season of debate, informed opinion and hopefully the odd laugh. Don't worry, regular listeners, the Arsenal Beat quiz and Guest Laguna will be back throughout the year too. I'm Mark Manbrines from PA Media and today I'm joined by David Ornstein of The Athletic and The Telegraph, Sam Dean to look back on the summer business and how it can impact upon Arsenal's chances this season. Now guys, to paraphrase one of the best TV shows of all time and a true British institution, I think it's fair to say Arteta and Edu have been grafting all summer, looking for some long-lasting relationships. There's been some successes as well as the odd flirt and pulling people for chats. Um, to date, they've landed a few bombshells in Gabriel Jesus, Fabio Vieira and shortly Alexander Zinchenko. And it'll be interesting to see, obviously, now if they're closed off from anyone new. Um, <laughs> David, coming to you first, which, which of these deals the club have struck so far impresses you the most, both in terms of the, the player themselves, obviously, but also the way Arsenal made that transfer happen? Uh, well, I'm tempted to say on paper, but I've not watched Love Island for about eight episodes, eight years. And so um, I'm, I'm probably massively out of date. Um, hi, guys. Great to be back on. And, and I can't wait for this season. Um, and yeah, let's get stuck into those transfers. So in my view, Gabriel Jesus is a transfer that might not be beaten anywhere in this window. I think he's absolutely perfect for what Arsenal wanted and needed in terms of a central striker at a really good age who can score lots of goals, who can link play, come short, pull wide. The one plus one, I think, Arteta and Arsenal describe it as. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. I bow to you two in your tactical superiority. Um, uh, and as a character as well, he has fitted in like a glove, uh, it would appear, in pre-season. Um, a winner, somebody with vast club and international experience, good language skills, uh, good demeanour. Um, his body's in great shape. He doesn't get injured very much. He uh, has a point to prove. Um, he has connections to Edu in terms of the Brazilian uh, national team, in terms of many Arsenal players from um, a Brazilian perspective, to Arteta in terms of their work together at Manchester City, now to Alexander Zinchenko as well, coming to London, great opportunity to live in the capital city. Um, just every box is ticked. I think it was reasonable value for money, even though he only had a year to go on his contract. Uh, there was genuine interest in him from other big clubs, Chelsea late on, as we've seen, a bit of a nibble from Tottenham as well, suggestions of Real Madrid. We don't know how credible that was. Um, and I think this is going to be a star signing for Arsenal and a massive um, player in the Premier League for years to come. They say you should never go back to your ex, Sam, but um, Arteta's done quite a good job here. How much impact has he had in terms of knowing Zinchenko and Jesus, do you think? How much has that prior relationship helped tempt them to a club that, let's be honest, aren't playing in the Champions League and and, you know, there, there is that, isn't there? So he must have played a role in, in getting them over the line. Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that for a club like Arsenal, outside the Champions League still, to sign a player of Jesus' quality and calibre 
And to an extent, Zinchenko too, but especially Jesus, would be far more difficult without that connection. And it's hard to see them convincing Jesus to forego Champions League football without that connection with Arteta. And obviously, as David said, Edu as well, knowing him and, and that relationship already there. So I think people don't always realise on the outside that football is such a contact game. It, it's, it's who you know and who you talk to as much, and, and who you trust as much as anything else. And we know as well that you know Arteta has been very big on character references and, and making sure the people he brings in are the right fit personality-wise, um, for obvious reasons, given the difficulties he inherited when he took over the job in 2019. But other clubs do that too. That's not an Arsenal thing. It's 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 a wide situation. Look at West Ham, for example. David Moyes is very sort of stringent on the sort of personalities he wants. Um, but yeah, I, I would, if, if Arteta wasn't at the club, I think it would be unlikely that Jesus would come to the club um, uh, from a personal view. But also, just on that deal, I think given the situation Arsenal had with Aubameyang gone and Lacazette going and just Eddie and Ketty are pretty much remaining as a, as a senior option and even he is still relatively inexperienced in Premier League level, they really could not afford to get this wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at it, Jesus is essentially the lowest risk option because he knows the Premier League, he knows Edu, he knows Arteta and the style of play, as we know, is very similar to what he's come from. So if you if you sort of look across Europe at the potential strikers who are available, he, he is the one who's sort of the lowest risk and still with obviously incredibly high reward too. So I think that that was the priority. And and from what we can see so far, they seem to have nailed it. Yeah, I just wanted to say quickly on that, that, you know, it's not often in the transfer market that um, clubs are getting their first choice or it's common that they're not getting their first choice and having to um, reevaluate, recalibrate and go for other options down their lists at Arsenal at other clubs too. And Arsenal set their stall out for Gabriel Jesus a long time ago. As when this story was starting to emerge from Brazil, I remember doing a report saying that um, Edu had been in contact about this very deal with his representatives for months and that that part was pretty much all in place. Then they needed to move on to the negotiations with Manchester City. And it went incredibly smoothly. If we look at other situations around the market, like Frankie de Jong and Manchester United, Arsenal didn't just get their first choice target, but they got him in incredibly swift and slick fashion in time for pre-season. And it wasn't a player without competition. It wasn't um, a player who no one wanted to sign. It had the potential to be a saga and um, and it wasn't. And so for that, I think Arsenal and their hierarchy deserve a lot of credit. How much of a marquee signing is it for Arsenal that, you know, racking my brains, I couldn't tell you the last time they went and bought a, a world-class player from one of their rivals or one of their top six contenders so just just for that reason it seems to be a, sh- a, a massive deal for Arsenal isn't it to prove that they can still go out and get this this calibre of player yeah I think so I mean there will be some cynics who say you know he wasn't a regular first choice starter for Manchester City and a lot of his time there um, it was only towards the end of the season actually when Arsenal's interest was emerging publicly that he seemed to get a run of starts and scored a hatful of goals. Um, so it's not like they're signing, you know, around the time I cast my mind back to, was it 2013 when they ended up signing Ozil, the players that Arsenal were actually in for uh, were Karim Benzema and Angel Di Maria. Um, 
you know, they signed Alexis Sanchez um, in 2014, deal that was struck largely at the World Cup in Brazil. Um, so they've, you know, Thomas Partey, Champions League midfielder, they've gone for some really big players over sort of the modern history um, of the club. But in terms of inter-Premier League, um, obviously we saw Van Persie leave Arsenal for Man United. Um, you're going to pick me up on some that have have come in, but they're rare. And this seems a bit of a summer where inter-Premier League transfers are happening. You know, we see this one, we see Raheem Sterling, we see Zinchenko, and there probably will be plenty more because of the money available within in the Premier League. It's reminding me of um, the heyday of Serie A when everybody was moving between Inter and AC Milan, Juventus, Roma, Lazio, etc. Um, people may criticise me for this, but I think it's marquee. I think it's a star signing and I think we will see that. He's got the age and the profile, the character, the sort of uh, the leadership qualities to be uh, one of the top scorers in the Premier League and one of the real um, eye-catching players for a number of years to come. Sam, I wanted, I wanted to come to you next with your with your tactical head-on. Who's been the most important of these new acquisitions from in terms of what Arsenal needed from where they were last season, do you think? Gabriel Jesus' goals aside, what, what else was needed and, and what boxes have they ticked? I mean, I think the honest answer, the honest answer, probably Jesus, because he actually runs, and they had a striker six months who couldn't do that. Um, but, uh, but more interesting, perhaps, I think, is what happens with Zinchenko. Obviously, still yet yeah. to be confirmed, despite the fact he's been pictured with the club for about three days straight. It's funny how these things work, um, or don't work in some cases. But um, I, I'm very interested to see where he plays because um, when, when the when the I think it was in May that it was first reported that, that Arsenal were looking at him as a potential option. And, uh, and my first gut instinct at the time was, yeah, he's a, he's a good player, but how much is he going to cost and what sort of wages is he going to be wanting? And wasn't sure about it. And then I watched him twice, um, once in the flesh, once on TV in the World Cup playoffs. And I know that's a very different setting for the Premier League. And it was against Wales and Scotland who weren't, you know, they weren't top level sort of elite midfields, but they were still good at Premier League midfields largely. You know, people like John McGinn, Scott McTominay, Etc. Aaron Ramsey was playing, and he was just superb in both games. And I know Ukraine won the first and lost the second, and so he wasn't obviously victorious in both. But he was brilliant in midfield and just completely ran the game. Uh, against Scotland in particular, he played to a level that really sort of opened my eyes to what he could be in midfield. Um, so I, following that, I, I've been very excited to see what he could do centrally for Arsenal. Um, as that sort of left-sided eight that everyone's sort of been talking about for some time. Uh, and obviously, as we know, he's a very dependable, reliable, technically assured left-back too. And it's, it's been a long-running problem now, two years in a row, Kieran Tierney's got injured at a bad point. Um, and it's cost Arsenal. Two years ago in the Europa League, cost them, and, and last year it cost them in the Premier League. And that's not Kieran Tierney's fault. And I don't think anyone's doubting his importance to the team. And I actually think, you know, just based on social media, I think some people are sort of, sneering at Tierney a bit unfairly now, um, given what he has done for the club and how consistent he generally is when he plays. But the fact is, he's not reliable enough. And, and, and we saw last year that Nuno Tavares certainly isn't either. Um, so to have a player who ticks both the left-back and central midfield box is really interesting. But it's the, for me, it's the idea of him playing central midfield from the start that is the most sort of alluring and, and exciting. Um, 
particularly if they do want to sort of accelerate this push towards a more Guardiola-esque 4-3-3. Yeah, the Scotland game was one that really um, captured the wider attention, wasn't it? But I thought the final game of the Premier League season against Aston Villa, when City were on the verge of losing the title to Liverpool, 2-0 down, and it wasn't like QPR in 20... Was that 2012? Um, Famously, it was a really, really good Villa team. Um, who I thought this time City's luck is going to run out. And Zinchenko turned that game. He was the attacking force from the left side, but he showed the skills and capability and composure and winning mentality, the drive. He's, you know, People have talked about Lissandro Martinez, who of course was the one that Arsenal were going for first as being a warrior uh, that United have signed. But Zinchenko himself is... is an amazing character when you speak to people around City and when you listen to his teammates um, amid this uh, impending departure. Well, he's he's joined up with Arsenal, as Sam <laughs> says already. Um, but um, I think this is what Arsenal needed in their dressing room. People are making jibes about Man City cast-offs. But, you know, Zinchenko, um, for those that have, have watched him play, I mean, his starts have been very limited, but... Um, uh, and there were times where at left back, you know, he did get targeted a little within City's uh, really high level team. Um, but in more recent times, months, last year or two, he's he's proven himself to be a dependable um, fit as well. And, and when we're referring to the Tierney point around injuries, uh, very carefully looks after his body. I hear things from City about how he's the first into the gym before training and often the last out and working out on days off takes real pride. His professionalism is very high, all things that will um, be to Arteta's liking. And with, without meaning to besmirch Tierney in any way, this really does feel like a team that Arteta is building with his own lieutenants. People that he signed are almost in every position now. There are very few non-Arteta signings left. Xhaka springs to mind. Leno has has been phased out. You know, there, there, there is speculation in, in the wider media about whether Tierney may move on at some point in, in the coming years. Um, so that's really interesting. The Tavares point, you know, he, he's an emerging talent who Arsenal will have high hopes for. But anybody who, I don't know if you guys were there, I was there at Crystal Palace away when um, Arsenal were in that dip towards the end of last season. I mean, I've never seen a more blatant targeting of one player in one position by an opponent than that. They, they went after him straight away and Arteta hooked him pretty early, like he did against Nottingham Forest. Was it at halftime in both matches? Um, and so that was an area that Arsenal clearly identified. They wouldn't have wanted to recruit in that area of the pitch to summers running but as soon as we heard the Lissandro Martinez reports and checked them out and asked what Arsenal were looking to do with him it was to compete with Tierney and provide cover and um, potential succession planning at, at left back um, even though he's gone to Man United as a left centre-back so yeah Zinchenko offers that Zinchenko offers the midfield option and um, there was a piece I was reading by James McNicholas on The Athletic without meaning to plug this morning um, about how all of Arteta's signings or Arsenal signings this summer have been about vers- versatility and flexibility. Gabby Jesus can play number nine, he can drop back, he can play wide. 
um, Zinchenko we've touched upon and, and Fabio Vieira has got pretty much every attacking position in his armory from 8, 6, 10, false 9, wide player. So that appears to be a key feature um, of what Arteta is trying to do with Arsenal going forward, which means you can um, amend your plans during matches. You can react, you can adapt, you can produce an element of surprise. When I was reading that piece, I just thought about how Eddie Jones describes his England rugby players these days as being starters and finishers. Maybe Arsenal are aiming for a bit of that, building towards two top quality players in every position, which isn't anything new. Mourinho did it when he um, when he joined Chelsea in his first stint and it led them to the league title. But if Arsenal can um, move in that direction, then they'll be competitive in the top half of the table. And of course, they've got the not insignificant matter of the Europa League for the first time in a few years. And that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for Arsenal this season to compete in European and domestic competition and that dreaded Thursday-Sunday combo. Just as quickly on the Man City rejects thing, um, the sort of accusation that because they're not quite good enough to start every week for City, so they're not good enough for Arsenal, kind of <laughs> it kind of ignores the reality of the league table for the past like five years. Um, mm. It's like, you know, Arsenal are not where City are right now and no one at Arsenal thinks they are or will pretend they are. So having a player like Jesus, who is sort of in and out of the team at City, but will be the starting man at Arsenal. That is the reality. That's not a thing to criticise Arsenal for. That's just the fact of where they are. So it does make me laugh when people say, oh, which City reject are they going to go for next? Like, well, yes, yeah, City, City are better. City are better. That's what happens. <laughs> well, <laughs> what do you want me to say? That's come like... full circle from Adebayor, Colo Torre. Who uh, <laughs> was the goalkeeper? Was it Richard Wright, Taylor? Yeah, Nasri. Clichy, Nasri. It made, me, it made me think then when you said about Arteta wanting his own deputies and generals in the team, yet he still gave El Nene a new deal. So I suppose that proves that... That was just for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I think um, with every with every new arrival, there comes talk of, of player sales and Arteta suggested the other day to, to continue the Love Island theme that, um, that players are about to get dumped from the Emirates. Um, who do we think is at risk? Sam, I'll come to you first. Right, I've gone through this. I did some prep for the pod, which is good, isn't it? Um, oh, God. Uh, including, <laughs> including Zinchenko, Arsenal have 33 first-team players currently. That doesn't include Charlie Patino, who uh, at the start of the summer was certainly expecting to be put in the first team. Uh, and who knows how that will pan out. I'm surprised he wasn't on pre-season. Uh, anyway, so 33, including Zinchenko. Um, Arteta has said publicly he wants 22 outfielders and three goalkeepers. So I think at least 10 will go if they want to get another couple in, which we think they probably will, if they can. I think at least 10 will go. And I've got the following list as people who Arsenal would like to go, essentially, uh, which sounds blunt, but probably reality. Uh, Leno, as we know, as David's reported on, on the Fulham interest and that deal and the, you know, slowing down a bit. Runison clearly hasn't got a future at Arsenal, uh, given who they've signed and who they've got already. Hector Bellerin, wages are a problem, but he's expected to go. Tavares on loan, one imagines. Pablo Mari, can't really see him having a future there. Maitland-Niles, slightly interesting one. Perhaps his versatility makes him useful in the Europa League season. Lucas Torreira, obviously. Pepe, obviously, but who's taking him? Reese Nelson, <laughs> slight asterisk. Uh, and this Marquinhos guy, you'd imagine, will go out on loan. But let's see how... I've not seen... Uh, he played a bit against uh, Nuremberg, Marquinhos, and looked quite sharp, but uh, not, not had a huge impact in terms of preseason matches since. So... That's a list of 10 of potential departures, but 
as David will know better than me, that the issue here is, is money and trying to find people who can take these guys. And Arsenal, as a club in the big six in the Premier League, pay big wages. And across Europe, clubs aren't currently willing to match those wages for players who, in almost all of those cases, have pretty much underwhelmed since they signed their last contract for Arsenal. So their valuations wage-wise have not improved or increased. And the, the global sort of football economy is sort of not growing in that way either. So it's quite hard to see some departures in terms of how they're going to actually do it. But no, knowing that Arsenal want to get some players out is, is obviously you know, the case. Yeah, David, if I if I come to you, the one the one name that stood out there on that list is Nicola Pepe. Um, that Arsenal have started to make it clear to to clubs that if they want him, they can take him. How does a club start attempting to shift a player that costs that amount of money that is on that amount of wages, and that other clubs already know they don't want? How how, how do they even start that process? Do you think? Yeah, well, firstly, swallowing a bit of pride and accepting you're going to take a financial hit. Arsenal have done. That pretty well in recent years, um, being creative with um, paying some of them to leave, um, swallowing some of their wages and and agreeing payoffs, uh, the likes of Ozil, Mustafi, Kalasinac, Socrates, Aubameyang. Um, so there may need to be a bit more of that. I, I'm talking more generally on, on that point because there are going to be some players now who are looking to maybe go as free agents from Arsenal. Um, others who, yeah, you, you just can't find agreements with. Um, uh, Sam mentions the wages there. I think with Leno, it's more the transfer fee with Fulham than the wages at the moment because if these players are going to pay these Arsenal cast-offs the salaries that they want, very few of them can also afford to pay a decent transfer fee. Um, you know, there's been... It's bizarre around Torreira, isn't it? But yeah, focusing on Pepe, as you say. Look, Arsenal uh, are open to his departure. Uh, Pepe is quite open to leaving if the right opportunity arises. Arsenal um, will have uh, a figure. It seems to be in the public domain, like 25-30. That's just the consensus. I've never sort of explicitly been told that, but it seems fair enough. Um and to answer your question specifically, I think it's going to come down to relationships and this is where they come in really key. Edu, agents, clubs, um, uh, you know, Richard Garlick's well-connected as well. These guys are working on on deals in and out every day. Arteta uh, himself, Pepe's new agent who he switched to. Th- these relationships are all geared towards being able to do these things when the time is right. And, it is right for now, uh, it seems, with Pepe. I do feel he's a popular character when you speak to people at Arsenal. He trains hard. He's, he's a likeable lad. He doesn't cause problems. Um, but it's just not worked out, has it? It was a staggering outlay at the time. Um, clear talent there, but there's a strong feeling in the market among many people you speak to that Arsenal had overpaid. Maybe 40, 45 was fair for him. I think Lille couldn't believe their luck when Arsenal came in at 80 million euros, 72 million pounds. Um, and so, yeah, they're going to have to take a hit. I mean, the value now, you know, with amortisation, et cetera, um, they, they may get what his his book value is if it's the sort of 20 mark. Um, yeah, the salary is going to be an issue as well. Again, this isn't really informed. It's just sense that it's one that develops towards the end of the window when... 
uh, Pepe sees that his game time is is limited. Um, you know, Arsenal are, they've got good uh, options in those areas. Martinelli, Smith Rowe. Uh, as Sam says, we'll see what happens with Marquinhos. Saka on the other side. They've tried to take that market opportunity with um, with Rafinha. Whether somebody else comes onto the list now that Rafinha has gone to Barcelona, I'm not sure. But you don't sense that Pepe is going to figure prominently in that. But you also don't sense there's anything brewing right now. So it is almost like everybody gives a little bit when they have to at the end, when push comes to shove, bid on the salary, bid on the fee to make something happen. And now there's no real rush for it unless he was sort of desperate to make his move and then he drops his demands uh, all of a sudden. But it, it's almost like one of those where bit of manoeuvring gets done towards the end. I, I don't know, it will definitely happen, but yeah, I think it will all come down to um, relationships. Just not not speaking about any specific players, speaking definitely more, more generally. But I remember talking to people at the time, sort of in the game, sort of agents and people around the, the, the club about the the contract terminations and the sort of spate of those that were coming through. And the problem with that, and it's the same in any industry, and it's not necessarily criticism of the players, it's just they're all looking out for themselves, as you would do in any any working life. Once one player gets it, other players are going to want that too. And the more you do, I think I'll up to seven now by the latest count of, of contracts they've terminated, which involve payoffs to, to various degrees. The more you do, the, the more you might have to do um, until you draw a line firmly in the sand and say no more. Um, and perhaps that's what Arsenal are going to say this summer. But I just fear for them that they've they've made this a a thing that happens now. Um, and I think it's not. I should should say on this, it's not just an Arsenal problem uh, in terms of not that other clubs have terminated contracts and that kind of thing to the same extent. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see similar things at other clubs this summer or similarly complicated ways or, or uh, unhappy ways on the club's point of view of getting players out the door. You look at Chelsea, for example, and they've got a, a load of players now there who are pretty much stuck on these massive wages. And do you want them milling around for ages, earning loads of money and not doing anything and just being in the way? Or do you want to just basically cut your losses and get rid in that sense? Um, so it's tough. It is tough. But I just fear that Arsenal, Arsenal's termination uh, tendency isn't quite over yet. Sam, do Arsenal need a sale? Like they've, they've become buyers massively and that's quite the opposite of what they were a few years ago and well, quite a few years ago now in, in the Wenger Emirates Stadium move era. And even in more recent years, they needed the sale of Alex Awobi to balance things out on line day. Um, but I can't think of many immediate candidates and certainly few who have been rumoured. I mean, Gabriel was the only one who who hit the headlines a bit. But I don't know how Arsenal's financial um, uh, balances are at the moment in terms of needing somebody to go for significant finance. I mean, uh, I'd love to hear your view on this as well, David. I think uh, January is relevant, I think, given the amount of money they got off the wage bill in January. And actually, if you look at the wage bill across the last couple of years, that's cleared up a lot um, when previously that was very tight. Um, and that famous quote from Josh Crumpley about Champions League wage bill and Europa League budget, mm. that, that wage bill has come down a lot. So that's given them a lot more freedom to move. Um, my understanding 
of the financial situation is that this year and last year are not the start of the new Arsenal. This is how they now do things. And this is how the Cronkies now do things. My understanding is essentially the club have pitched to the owners. And I'd love, again, David, I'd love to see, know if this mm. is also what you understand, that to rebuild in a sustainable way, they need to invest heavily now in a certain style and age of player on a certain wage. And generally speaking, the players they have brought in have been, last year they were all 23 or under, and they weren't on huge wages compared to some of the wages of the players who left. And this year it's been largely the same. Obviously, Jesus is slightly more ready-made and Zinchenko is slightly more ready-made than someone like Ben White, for example. But my, my understanding is they are they are accepting they have to invest heavily now and last summer and potentially next summer too, who knows how it pans out, in order to get back to a point where they can be self-sustaining again. And that is still the long-term goal rather than this is the new Arsenal, the Kroenke is going to spend £150 million every single summer. That's my view mm. and my understanding. Yeah, that I've got no reason to think that isn't the case. And clearly there was a period of um, heavy investment needed and some uh, punches to be sucked up uh, with those terminations. Um, you wonder if part of the reason why there's no agreement yet, for example, on Leno and Fulham and Arsenal asking for a value that Fulham aren't quite prepared, well, depending on who you speak to, are nowhere near meeting at the moment because Arsenal may have identified that as one of the few opportunities to bring in significant money while not disrupting that model that you talk about. So I guess there's... Um, you know, there's a theory that if you invest now and, and you rebuild and blend uh, these exciting new signings, largely young, with uh, academy products, then they may come to a point where the sales will be possible. Um, uh, not necessarily in a way that it was before, where it was like Arsenal were, were the, the selling club, but a, a better balance than they're at now. Uh, but I think if they didn't... Um, embark upon this investment and back Arteta and support him in the way that he felt he needed to uh, to be successful or to rebuild and get the project moving in, in the right way, then there would have been no point. It would have all collapsed. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm just intrigued by whether something happens at the end. And maybe that's a Pepe. Maybe that's, um, that's another fringe player, a bit of Leno, whether Bellerin, something comes in late and they can get the reported seven, 10 million for him, I don't know. It seems more likely right now that he leaves as a free agent in the summer of 2023, pick up a loan fee, I don't know, for Tavares, um, uh, a little bit for... Um, Mary. Uh, for, for a little bit for Torreira, for Pablo Mari, and, and build like that in this summer. But uh, yeah. I, I don't think this um, the, the spending show can go on forever, but yeah, it's a necessary um, uh, period in their sort of genesis and project. Smith Rowe Saka, that's the two. <laughs> those are the two. If you want to make if you want to make money, this, this is just me saying. I'm not. I'm not saying they're going to sell those two aggregators. Listening, please don't put that out there. It's not what I'm saying <laughs> at all. But if they decide they want to make sales and make money. Those are the two that bring in the cash. If you want cash, someone Mart like Smith Rowe and Saka. Martinelli, arguably. Yeah. Yeah, another one. I just know. It's interesting. Mm. It's interesting on Martinelli because 
you would think he would be coming towards the moment of a new contract and we haven't heard much on that for now. He doesn't seem to get the minutes that many fans feel he deserves. Uh, he, he seems very happy there and, and um, an important part of the project, but um, he'll have admirers, obviously. Um, Smith Rowe too, but we know with the Aston Villa situation last summer, but he signed a new deal. There have been suggestions of Man City and, and Saka, but the hope of Arsenal is that Saka signs a new contract. Um, there are players there who they they could cash in on. Saliba, for example. Let's see whether he really does get his chance this this summer or not. Um, but, yeah, there's... Mm, you wouldn't be surprised if something happened, but not not around any of those those star names, no. If we look outward from Arsenal, I know we're, we're the Arsenal beat, but they just missed out on the top four last season. They've done some good business this summer, but how does that compare to their rivals? And I'm thinking more like Spurs and Manchester United, I suppose, are their, are their more direct rivals. So, so Sam, what what do you think in that in that regard? Uh, well, you have to say, you know, on paper, back to that famous phrase, the, the Spurs mm-hmm. squad. The Spurs squad looks stronger now than it did at the end of last season. Um, considerably stronger, I think. Basuma is a very good player. Perisic is going to come in with a, you know, ready-made quality and just experience of winning trophies. And uh, Richarlison adds depth in the position they needed a lot of depth. So that strikes me as from an Arsenal perspective, quite worrying how, how much Spurs have strengthened. But at the same time, you have to bear in mind that Spurs are going to be playing in Champions League this season. And one thing that happened last season as well, Arsenal was sort of criticised for not getting over the line despite having no Europe. Um, you have to bear in mind that Spurs had no Europe the second half of the season too. So those advantages that Arsenal had were also shared by Spurs. And, and historically, um, Conte has found it harder to manage a team in midweek competition and then keep them going in the Premier League. So that will be interesting to see if that, you know, on paper, Spurs look really strong uh, and, and formidable. Whether it works out quite that much, um, I'm not sure. But they also, they, they've got the same problem as Arsenal. They need to sell players. They've got Ndombele there, huge wages, Giovanni Lo Celso, Sergio Regulon. They've got players hanging around um, who they need to get rid of. But yes, Spurs worry me. And I'll pass over David for United. I think David's far more in touch with United than I am. Yeah, th- these things can change very quickly. So I'm not taking pre-season as a barometer, but I think Ten Hag will improve Manchester United and the size of the club and the fan base and the um, the quality of that squad, which many of us thought should have finished in the top four last season if they'd performed to potential uh, or ability, makes you think that if Ten Hag gets a tune out of them, they're immediately competitive in, in that top echelon. I think Arsenal are still a little bit embryonic in terms of their project. Um, and I don't want people to have a pop at us and say, oh, Teta's had loads of time. He's had a new contract. I'm, I'm aware of that. And um, But I just mean in terms of the age profile, you know, bringing in even headline signings like um, Jesus Sinchenko hadn't played um, as absolutely key regular parts of the club they were at before. Fabio Vieira is a very young and promising signing. Clearly with a lot of these players at Arsenal, they're banking on, um, you know, the kids coming good and fulfilling their potential. And, and we, I mean, sorry to hark back to the, the potential sales, but 
increasing their value to, to make Arsenal traders again in the in a way that they're not at the moment. Uh, it doesn't feel like Arteta would certainly argue this, I'm sure, but it doesn't feel like Arsenal are uh, seeking to be a win now club. Like obviously Manchester City and, and Liverpool are. Tottenham are trying to be under Conte with all of these signings um, with their manager that's in place. He, he only really goes places to win. Um, Chelsea, their new ownership, that that will be a bit sort of uh, developmental, but they are a winning club. Um, and so, of course, Arsenal want to win, but it feels like this is more of a journey than some of those other clubs. They're really invested in, in that, um, that pathway that will come good, hopefully sooner rather than later, but at some point in time. And as Sam says, trying to get back to that sustainable um, philosophy that they have always sort of governed themselves by in modern history. So I think it's going to be a ferocious battle. I think Arsenal will be hoping that their recruitment work is more based on quality than quantity. Um, The amount of change at Tottenham, even though they've brought in some quality players, that's always going to be a little bit destabilizing. Wenger used to talk about a maximum number of first team trades in or out in total being about five. I mean, Tottenham have already bought six in alone and there may be a, one or two more to follow later in the window once they've done some trading out. That, you know, it's, it's high stakes in the casino what Tottenham are doing um, and it may well work out. Manchester United too, they've got more recruitment work to do. At some point, United are going to get it right and there's nothing to say that won't be Ten Hag while City and Liverpool are going to be up there and, and Chelsea's a bit of an unknown quantity. So it's never been a harder time for Arsenal to make up the ground, but it doesn't mean that they can't. Uh, this year, we're going to try and introduce a little more listener interaction. So we tweeted out this morning asking for your questions. I think the mistake I made was letting... All the listeners know that David was joining us. So most of the questions were about breaking transfer signings. But um, we'll, we'll try and steer away from that as best as possible. So here we go. Um, Imrek L, first off, asks, what about Tielemans? Is he no longer on the radar? David, I'll come to you with that one. Uh, of course he's on the radar. And, and he's a player that Arsenal, um, and as I've reported previously, all of their key decision makers around these things, you're sort of, Arteta's and his coaches, your Edu's uh, technical director and his recruitment staff are all very fond of. And um, it's um, no surprise that, therefore, we've all been reporting that he's a player that the club would like to sign. But it's, it's not always that straightforward. Um, you need to have the finance that sort of Leicester would accept, which is reportedly 25, 30 million. Um, you need to be able to we meet his wage demands and you need to have the space in your team. The sense I've got around this situation is that Tielemans would be dependent on a departure from that area of Arsenal's team now, after the recruitment work that's already taken place at Arsenal. And whether that's a Xhaka or somebody else, I don't know. And I don't hear of people leaving from that uh, part of the pitch at the moment. So that would suggest that Tielemans is not a goer for now. But that, of course, could change later in the window. And I don't think Arsenal's interest disappears. And I'm sure there's some interest in Tielemans for some others as well. So it's just a bit of a holding pattern. 
I am. Sorry, I didn't realise I was on mute. Um, Sam, you can take the next question if you like. From Ashgon3, he wants to know, do any of the players who went out on loan last season have a future at Arsenal despite Saliba? Uh, so who are we looking at? Uh, Runison, probably no. Bellerin has discussed, probably no. Pablo Mari, probably no. Uh, uh, no, Reese Nelson, I suppose, would be interesting. We, we know Arsenal, as we as discussed, looking at Rafinha as sort of uh, another right-sided option to compete with Saka. Um, and with Pepe, I think it's fair to say likely to leave, as we've discussed. There is a gap on that side of the attack. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Nelson is sort of used to fill that gap, certainly until January, if Europa League group stage games, all that kind of thing. Um, again, the expectation, I think, is that he will go. But I wouldn't be surprised if, depending on what happens in the market and potential incomings, uh, that Nelson is around. And the other one is Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who uh, one year left in his contract, I believe, and has had, obviously, a a difficult time at Roma, didn't pull up any trees at West Brom either. There's not going to be a huge demand for him at a huge fee, uh, I would think. And if if, if Arsenal are looking at, in the region of, of, what, five to ten million pounds for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I just wonder if it's actually worth keeping him for a year and he going on a free. Just, you know, £5 million and £10 million is helpful, but he can also play about five positions. Um, he, he could he could sort of cover any gaps that might appear unexpectedly. You know, things change, as we know, uh, off-season and in-season, things change quickly and dramatically. Um, so for that, I feel like if I was sitting in a big spreadsheet, it's not quite how it works. Obviously, there are far more important things at play, uh, least of all, Maitland-Niles' own personal preferences. But, you know, if it's a football manager, I'd look at it and think, well, would I want five or six million for him or would I keep him? And as a useful asset, I think I'd probably verge towards keeping him. But uh, as I said, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if he did leave. Just quickly, that's another example of Arsenal not being obsessive sellers in this modern era. Or some people may listen to this and say it's indecisiveness and negligence. But they had an opportunity to sell Maitland-Niles wasn't it a couple of years ago? Uh, 20 yeah, odd million to, to Wolves. Uh, mm. Eddie and Ketia, 10 odd million to Crystal Palace uh, on a couple of occasions within the last couple of years. And they've actually, um, whether it's um, they flip flopped over it or whether they have actually wanted to keep them and understand their quality as homegrown players who can contribute. Maybe it didn't work out at West Brom and it, and it didn't work out. Um, elsewhere for certain players, but they may be able to play a role for Arsenal who encounter European football along with the domestic competitions uh, this time round. So, yeah, really good point by Sam. What's the value of keeping somebody versus cashing in for a few million, which will just go to somebody else's wages? Right, I'm going to come to Sam again with this one, purely because the last one is a is an Ornstein-specific question. Um Cape Town Guna asks, is there anything that you saw in the all or nothing clips that have surprised you? And do you know whether Arteta has editorial approval over each episode? Uh, I believe, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, I believe Arteta said on record out to the guys in the States that the club um, had that power over it. Um, My understanding is that they certainly did. uh, uh, not on the record, obviously, that's my understanding. Um, and they've certainly seen the episodes already. Uh, at least the first four were, were viewed months ago. So, 
yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that's the same as all these all or nothing documentaries. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. The, the trailer got my uh, got my excitement for sure. Uh, from a journalistic point of view, I'm not convinced it will be a great journalistic exercise in terms of uh, learning things that well, there'll be lots to learn that we didn't we didn't know. But I don't think it will be um, the same sort of product as if they'd let us three go in behind the scenes for a year <laughs> to put it lightly um but i think it'll be great tv and i think it'll be very interesting and i'm sure there'll be some stars of it that some people who will emerge as very interesting personalities and important characters that people might not be aware of for example i'd be stunned if there's not a lot of rob holding in this because rob holding is basically a really great guy and i'm sure he would have been helpful in this and willing to cooperate and I think you'll come across like that. And so I think there'll be sort of hidden heroes and unsung heroes in this that, that fans across the world w- wouldn't know about. And yeah, I'm sure it'll be very entertaining, but I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a, a, a real exercise in amazing journalistic sort of documentary making. But hopefully I'm wrong. I, I, I think on that point, anyone that signs off on these kind of shows has to have some kind of editorial approval. Don't know, that'd be amazing if they didn't. Um, also, a, a quick plug, I think, for Inside Hale End, which is a six-part documentary series that the club have put on YouTube. Um, Sam and I were lucky enough to be invited to, to watch the first two in the presence of Murdersack and Wilshire a couple of weeks ago. And it just, it's quite an interesting little documentary, you know. Might see some of those faces sooner rather than later, given that they're in the Europa League. But yeah, that's that's one to watch, I would recommend. Uh, whilst we all wait for all or nothing to drop, uh, I'm still also waiting for my one pound from Amazon for uh, an appearance fee in that documentary. So I'll be yes. taking them, I'll be taking Bez off to court before you know it. Um, this one seems <laughs> the might, like the might of the Arsenal beat going against Amazon. <laughs> this feels like a good one to end on uh, from long-time listener Lordy C, who asks: I first became aware of David's great work several years ago, and soon after he became an Arsenal Twitter legend. Not my words, David. You know that. Um, I'd love to ask what he thought, what he thinks of all the memes. Are they funny, annoying, a bit of both? And what do your family and friends think when they see memes about you? They've died down in recent years, thank God, uh, which probably suggests I'm doing a worse job um, or maybe... A, a People taking you more ready. seriously. People taking you more seriously now. Possibly, possibly. Uh, and I'm more of a, a jack of all trades than ma- master of one. Um, well, the family think it's hilarious uh, my wife in particular and they do occasionally go around uh, a few whatsapp groups but um i think it's good fun apart from some of them which um cross lines of decency and um <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones i like I, I love those ones yeah of course of course what always time? said um if people find we need to um uh i don't think we should take this stuff too seriously it's it's um in 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 social media um and the seriousness of so much then bring on the memes and my god people are creative like i don't even know how they i mean some of them are really amateurish which i i actually find the funniest but the <laughs> ones that are really good you're like what are you doing with your day you're far too creative from my understanding so uh yeah credit Look, have, to you got, the meme have you got a favorite creators. one have you got a favorite one david um uh, oh god i don't want to um break rules on on t- taste and decency here I, d- I don't know like orn flakes or something like that uh, <laughs> that was a funny one you, you would you wouldn't you, you you're you're far too polite to say this is your favorite one but my personal favorite is uh 
the remake of the scene in Star Wars where um, I think is it Anakin? I'm so bad at Star Wars. I think he slaughters all the young kids, um, <laughs> and they've put they've put other journalists' faces on the kids' face. And uh, it was one of those Charles Watts, a uh, friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it, for some reason, Charles Watts on a child's body just really, it just really works, and it just cracks me up every time. Even though he is in that particular thing about to be uh, stabbed to death with a lightsaber by David Ornstein, but that's my personal favourite one. Yeah, I, th- I, I think if I, if I was any good on Photoshop, given what we've been talking about today. David would be getting his, his head photoshopped onto the body of Adam Collard, but I, I'm not very good at that. So uh, <laughs> maybe we'll just get you to pose one day, David, for, for a photo shoot. Anyway, let's That's the get... dream. That, that's that's the, the most complimentary one, like Thierry Henry celebrating in front of like, uh, was it like the Norse Bank of, of my faces? That was disconcerting, but like very, very humbling. And to have a Love Island style body is like the dream. Put me on any of those, uh, I swear that any one was of those a bit tor- like... torsos. Is it, uh, being John Malkovich, has anyone ever done that one? That'd be quite a good one to do, wouldn't it? Be, being David Ornstein, there you go. That's, if anyone can <laughs> do that for this. us. Um, let's the stop or, it the right there. supremacy was enough. <laughs> um, right, yes, let's definitely stop it there. Right, thank you for joining us for the first show back, guys. Next week, we're going to get some people on the show and do our pre-season predictions. How wrong can we be and how quickly can I delete the episode from our RSS feed once the season starts? We shall wait and see. Uh, my thanks to Sam and David for joining us today. Go and find those Ornstein tweets, uh, those memes, shows your favourites, make your own. I do want, I definitely want a being David Ornstein one if someone could turn that around for me. Uh, enjoy everyone and enjoy the start of the season in a couple of weeks' time.